God, um, I just thank you for creativity. I am so inspired as I see this, um, this song come to life and just this, this metaphor of what it means to be about the freedom of other people. And so God, I just pray that today, everything in this experience just comes together to speak a clear message of truth to all of us about the freedom you call us to live in and how we get to participate in the freedom of those around us. God, use everything as you have already to take us to a new place of freedom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today what we're gonna be talking about is the simple fact that freedom is maintained in the midst of community. That community is just an inextricable part of how we get free. And we've been using a common metaphor every week. We've used different things like kites and, and um, different other flying metaphors. But this idea of flight is just so evident of freedom. And today, we're going to take that a different route and talk about what it means for us to be caged and how we get free and then how we get to participate in the freedom of other people. So if this is your first time, just want to say, hey, welcome to you. And in a few minutes, uh, we're all going to have a time to be generous. So I want to let you know that's coming. Um, but we've been in this journey talking about freedom and understanding what does God define as freedom in our lives. And um, we recognize that we share some common cages as well. So we talked about the cage of rejection that many of us wrestle with and the cage of fear. And many of us have cages of anger or bitterness. Or maybe we have cage, cages of pride and religion. These are things that keep us from experiencing freedom in a relationship with God the way that he intended it for us. And last week, Brian talked about the need to endure as we walk this freedom journey. And he kind of broke it down into four phases of the journey of freedom. The first is the blahs. And the blahs are kind of status quo. Blahs really are places where we may not even know that we're in a cage. There may be patterns in our lives or choices we make or relationships that we have with people that are just not healthy for us and don't lead to freedom. They actually keep us in bondage. But when you're in the blahs, you may not even know that. But at some point, you recognize that I may not be as free as I think. And that's the point at which you make the break and you move into the second phase where you do something different, you make a different choice, you move toward freedom as God intended it. And the break is an exciting time, sometimes it's a very scary time because you're taking and transitioning from where you've always been. But interestingly for many of us, after we have the break, there's this period that we can enter called the blues. And the blues are often the place where freedom feels like failure. You see, even though we might have been caged before, at least the cage was familiar. It was our home, and so we were comfortable there. And now, even though we're moving toward freedom, freedom is uncomfortable. There are new choices we have to make. Maybe there are new relationships that we have to form, and so we can find ourselves in the blues during that period. But if we endure through the blues, then the blessings come. There is this place where freedom is amazing, and it's awesome, and we recognize this is life as God intended it. And so that's what we've been talking about in the midst of this series. And I have to say, personally for me, uh, Coming into this week, I was definitely in the blues. I mean, this free journey has been incredible for me, and it's also been incredibly difficult. As I look at fears in my life and the things that I'm still wrestling with, things I thought I was over already, only to find out, boy, there's still some work left to do. And I never had this happen in any journey we've been on together, but I, I actually had a moment this week where I thought about quitting. I thought about just Putting, at least putting it on the shelf for a while. It was just too difficult for me. And what turned it around for me this week was a friend. 
What turned it around for me was a guy, Michael, that I've known for five years and some conversation that we had. And I'm going to tell you the details of that a little bit later. But it was just a very, very helpful reminder that, you know, there are things that I can do and need to do that are just between me and Jesus, just between me and God, that help me get free. And at the same time, I need community around me if I'm going to experience the fullness of freedom as God intended it. So that's where we're going today. Speaking of community, I want to invite you guys in on another thing that's been a part of my community these last couple days. Um, I've been spending a lot of time on this. I've been spending a lot of prayer on this. March Madness. Anybody else? Anybody else hooked on March Madness? Yes. Um, so, So I thought just to bring you into my community that I would show you my now defunct bracket. So we have my bracket up here. I was starting out pretty good, but Northern Iowa? Are you serious? Northern, who picked Northern Iowa? Oh my goodness, man, Rush, you pick, man, I, look, you're going to pick for me next year. You know, I, I just, my bracket's busted at this point, you know, it's just a shame to see that, but it's just been fun, and it's funny how this just naturally builds community. I mean, everybody's talking about it, everybody's breaking out a bracket, everybody has an opinion, it's just a fun time, and I love it. And actually, Brian Tome, our senior pastor, he also did a bracket. He's not here, but we were able to obtain his bracket, and I wanted to know, you know, did he have Kansas going all the way? <laughs> No, we had the Steelers going all the way. Wrong sport, Brian, wrong sport. Um, and actually, actually, I hear that the way that he picked the rest of his bracket was he asked himself if the mascots met in a street fight, who'd win? That was, that was his strategy. And who knew that a bobcat could beat a Hoya? I mean, I didn't see that coming either, you know? A couple of Ohio U fans in here. So it's, it's just been fun. The, just the tournament is a great time. Just wanted to just have some fun with that. And actually, I have a, a special point of wisdom for the guys in here. So guys, listen up. This is a true medical fact. According to the Cleveland Clinic, there is a 50% increase in scheduled vasectomies the week that March Madness begins. Stop and think about that for a second. It's actually brilliant. It's actually brilliant. I mean, it's an elective surgery. You can choose when you get it. What better week to be sitting at home with a remote and some frozen vegetables than March Madness? I mean, this is wisdom. This is wisdom right here. Guys, you don't even have to pay for that one. That one's free. That one's free. If you're not at that point in your life, schedule it. Actually, I hear there's a website, and you can go to this website, and based on whatever your sporting event is of choice, it'll, it'll tell you when you should schedule your vasectomy so you're off a couple days to watch it. I, that's brilliant. That's just brilliance right there. So, um, But, you know, I'm having a lot of fun with March Madness. It's just one of those things that rallies people around community. And has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today at all. Just, just, just having some fun with you. Um, we are, though, going to go ahead and invite the volunteers up. We're going to take up an offering. Like I said, this is the time for us to be generous and fuel the life change that happens around here. If you're brand new, just want you to know you can let these discs pass you right on by. And as we take up the offering, we're going to look at a video of a guy who knows what it's like to be inspired in his own freedom journey as he watches other people be free. Growing up, I really learned that when you do something well, you get attention, people tell you that. It really became a performance thing for me. Uh, I do well in sports, do well in school. My spiritual walk was just like anything else that, you know, you study a book so you can pass a test that I, I believe in God. Uh, Jesus was my savior. I wanted to do the best I could. And so when I was supposed to do things, I, I would do them obediently, expecting, okay, now I've won his approval. And I study, I remember studying the Bible that I, I loved it, it was great. And I knew those things as true, but I knew them just like it was a biology book. I'd love to say there was a moment, but I think really being around other people who are free, other people who 
you know what, they'd fail and it was okay. They didn't have to do things perfectly. It's really a sense of freedom that I could see in other people's lives and a peace that they had that, that I wanted, but it wasn't until I stopped trying to do things right and I started to grow my relationship with God. I remember watching, uh, I don't know why I get emotional about this, I remember watching Josh play drums and I would just stare at him and be like, there's a guy who's, he just, that was his heart. But here was a guy that was in his element and he wasn't doing it for anything other than what, what God had called him to do. And seeing that was breaking things off inside of me and that it was okay just to be who I was. Studying it as facts versus understanding in my heart that God loves me and he wants communion with me and he wants me to be in community with other people. That um, I had to, I had to very clearly tell myself, it's okay if you're not the best. God not only loves me, but he wants to be in every part of my life. And allowing him in really shone light on those places that I didn't even know were secret and held in dark. That I didn't need to be responsible for him when I gave him over to God. That's when I started to see freedom. I started to have that peace that seemed to be a little elusive sometimes. To me, freedom is peace. Freedom is that moment I think about when you were a little kid and you got done with the last day of school and you went, ha, ah, like it was over, it was done. You had that three months ahead. But I believe and I know that God wants that in every day, every part of your life. Many of us may have heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And in the same way, the positive flip side of that is that free people, free people. It's just part of the life cycle of freedom. And Keith talking about how he was inspired toward freedom and things just broke off as he just saw Josh and his element being free. That's exactly what we're going to explore today. Jesus models this perfectly. And we're going to spend some time in a story that comes from one of the memoirs of his closest friend, John. And John wrote what's captured in the Bible in the New Testament is the Gospel of John. And in this memoir toward the end, there's this interaction that happens between Jesus and his closest friends that really powerfully illustrates what it means to be free and to be about the freedom of other people. And I need to set the scene, though, because I want you to understand what was going on at this time in Jesus' community. The, the time that we're going to step into today and explore a little bit is really a time when his closest friends were literally locked in a cage of fear. They were locked in this room, and they were deathly afraid of the future. The reason is because these guys had spent the last three years of their life hanging out with Jesus on a daily basis, watching him heal people like they had never seen before, watching him teach people and have wisdom like they had never seen before. And Jesus kept talking to them and others about this kingdom that he had come to establish. And for those guys, when they heard kingdom, they thought immediately of freedom because they knew what it was like to be encaged by oppression. This is a time when the nation of Israel was actually in bondage to Rome, and it was an oppressive bondage. And so these guys woke up every day in that cage. And so when Jesus began to talk about freedom and he began to talk about the kingdom, these guys got excited. They sold everything they had. They left everything behind and they followed Jesus because they thought this guy's going to do it. He's going to bring physical freedom to our people. There's going to be the glory days return to the nation of Israel. We're going to kick Rome out. It's going to be amazing. And we get to be on the front lines of this with our conquering king. But in the last seven days, they had seen all those dreams crumble. Every one of them shattered into a million pieces because the day, the week started 
with this triumphant entry where Jesus came into the capital city, the city of Jerusalem, the center of the action. And when he came into the city, there were people literally bowing at his feet. He was welcomed as a king. And these guys saw him go from this triumphant entry to the point where that Friday, Jesus died a common criminal's death on a cross. Rome had won. Rome had taken out this this uprising, whatever Jesus was, and they had killed him. And they killed him in the most humiliating, the most painful way that's probably ever been known to man. And his closest friends saw this happen. And at this point, they are locked in a room with fear because they said, if this is what they did to Jesus, then we must only be days away from meeting the same demise. And in the midst of their hopelessness, in the midst of their fears, they were locked in, in this room, Jesus, the same guy that had just been killed three days ago, shows up. He shows up. And to help them understand that this is not a ghost that they're seeing, one of the first things he does is he actually shows them the wounds where the spikes had been driven into his hand. He shows them where a spear had been driven into his side and Jesus had literally and physically rose from the dead. And it's in the midst of this that Jesus models for us one of the greatest principles of how we help other people get free. We help others get free in community when we live in freedom ourselves. And Jesus does this, and he he represents total freedom by having beaten death. And he says to them these words. In the midst of this incredible scene, Jesus says to his followers, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. I mean, imagine this scene. These guys saw him die. Now they see him on the other side of death. And the first thing Jesus says to them is peace. Peace. How do you combat fear? With peace. Jesus wasn't just greeting them. He was blessing them. He was giving them a promise. Because he had beaten death, Jesus was saying, you can have peace. Jesus was breaking the cage on freedom for these men. And actually, he then empowered them to do the same for other people. Talks about you can forgive sins. It didn't mean that they get to make the call on who goes to heaven or hell. But what he was saying was, you have the message of forgiveness. When you talk about me, that's the message of freedom. And now you have the opportunity to give that away to other people. This is an incredible, incredible scene. How many people have heard the name Roger Bannister? Does that name ring a bell for anyone? Inventor of the staircase, yes. No, that's actually not who he is. Um, <laughs> Roger Bannister was a neuroscientist. But before he was a neuroscientist, he was a runner. And actually, he's best known to the world as the guy who broke the cage on the four-minute mile. Before that point, no one, no human being had run the mile in less than four minutes. And actually, some people have come to conclude maybe there's a human limitation here. Maybe it just can't be done. But Roger Bannister got it in his head that actually, I can do this thing. And it's interesting because one of the ways that he was able to actually break the barrier, break the cage, was that he needed community around him. There are guys that were called rabbits, and they would actually set pace for him for every quarter mile that he ran on the track. They'd allow themselves to get lapped immediately so that when he came, they were fresh and they could keep him at a pace that would help him run under a four-minute mile. And so Roger Bannister needed community to actually break through this cage. But what even though that's interesting, what struck me even more is that in the next three years after he did that, 16 other runners went on to do the same thing. The next three years, 16 other runners broke the four-minute mile cage. Now, let me ask you a question. Did something change in their DNA? Did something change in their genetics all of a sudden because he did this? 
Of course not, but someone had lived this thing out and now they knew what was possible. And what I want to say to you is that Jesus' resurrection, the fact that he literally and physically rose from the dead, when he did that, he broke the cage on freedom for all of us. So you don't have to be bound in the cage of anger. You don't have to be bound in the cage of religion. You don't have to be bound in the cage of rejection. You don't have to be bound in cages of fear because Jesus broke the cage for you. And now freedom is possible. I want to submit to you that the most significant thing in the history of your freedom is what happened in that memoir, that Jesus rose from the dead. Look at how one guy who talks about the power of the resurrection a lot, look at what he writes about the impact of this on us. He says, the new creation is not just pulling ourselves up from our own bootstraps. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, God's new world has begun. We are not only the beneficiaries of new creation, we are the agents of it. There is something powerful that happens when we live in the freedom that we receive from the freedom giver. We show other people what is possible. Jesus breaks the cage, and as we break out of our cages, we allow other people to recognize that they don't have to stay in their cages either. There's a guy who wrote much of the New Testament. His name is Paul, and this is what he says about this idea of freedom. He says, and if the spirit, and this is how he put this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. What he's saying is the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the very spirit that allowed him to come back in form, show his wounds and say, I have beaten death. That is the same spirit we receive when we come to receive Jesus as our freedom giver. And if that is the spirit that is living in you, you can break out of any cage. And when you do that, you show other people what is possible. Freedom happens in communities when we live in freedom. It also happens when we share our scars. Freedom happens when we share scars. One of the fascinating things about this account in the book of John is how Jesus chooses to show up after having beaten death. Jesus does not show up in a perfect body. He shows up in a body that still bears the scars that he was given at his crucifixion three days ago. I mean, this is a clear break from how Hollywood always frames up this scene. If you've ever seen any movie about Jesus, when it's time for the resurrection, this is the time in the movie where there's this light behind his head and there's the, oh, you know, and he's moving real slow. And, you know, and obviously that is not what the Bible paints as a picture. It says that Jesus actually came back to his disciples and he shared his scars. He had the same scars. And it was those very scars that gave them hope. It was the scars that helped them understand we weren't collectively seeing a ghost. Jesus actually rose from the dead. Jesus knew something about scars. It's a powerful, powerful message he's communicating here. What Jesus knew about scars is what we also know. Scars are evidence that a healing process has taken place. So that's why Jesus would come with scars. You know, if someone in your life gets cut, and they don't have the ability to form scars, you take that person to the hospital, there's something wrong when that's the case. The natural healing process includes scars. So Jesus comes back having beaten death, but he comes back sharing scars. And if Jesus did that, then why is it so hard for us to share our scars? Why is it so hard for us, even in trusting environments, even with people we know well, why is it so difficult to share our scars? I think it's because this is one of the lies that the enemy lodges in our heads. Man, if you share that with people, you can kiss that friendship goodbye. Man, if you tell them about that thing, they'll never trust you again. And it's a lie. It's a lie. 
experientially, we know it's a lie. I don't know about you. I'm just going to talk about me for a second. I do not trust perfect people. I don't necessarily even like perfect people. <laughs> people who seem to have it all together. They don't make any mistakes. They just kind of know what to do. They always follow all the laws. They're just really, really good. There's nothing happening in their life that's bad. I tend to look at people like that and say they're either fake, phony, or self-deluded. I, I don't trust people like that. I think most of us are that way. The people I tend to trust, the people I want to do life with, are people who are willing to say, I do have mistakes in my past. I've got pain that I have to work through. I'm on a freedom journey, but guess what? Healing is possible. Let me show you the scars. Because healing comes from that. Those are the people that we tend to trust. And I just think that there's something powerful about the fact that Jesus chooses to model community and freedom and community by sharing his own scars that he actually comes to the level of humanity of sharing scars with us. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. I remember the first time I saw the power of sharing scars. It was actually when I was in college, and um, it was my brother. Uh, my brother, I've talked about before, has struggled with drug addiction, and this is a time when he was in NA meetings, <clears throat> and he was sharing his story a lot. So I was hanging out with him that summer, and he was like, hey, you want to come with me tonight? I'm going to be just kind of sharing in a group. I had never been to a recovery meeting before. <clears throat> I didn't know anything about it. But, you know, it's my brother, and, and unfortunately, even though we were related, I knew there was a lot of his story I did not know. And so I remember going with him to this church in Philadelphia. <clears throat> and we went to the basement, and it was like your typical, if you've ever seen a movie scene about recovery, it was kind of the typical thing, chairs in a circle, <clears throat> not too many people there. And my brother sat down, and um, the first thing he said to that group was, hi, my name is Rob, and I'm an addict. And then everybody said back to him, hi, Rob. And, you know, I know there are some people who, who follow Jesus and who have very good convictions on this that say, boy, I hate when people who follow Jesus call themselves an addict. That just doesn't resonate with me. And we can debate on whether that's the right thing to do or not. But as an outsider looking in, all I can tell you is when my brother said that, it actually normalized the healing process for everybody in there. Because that's what scars do. Scars normalize healing for us. They, they help us understand that freedom will have pain, but there's also hope on the other side. And my brother went on to share his scars. He began to share how very young he was when he first started to struggle with this addiction. He talked about kind of the ebb and flow of trying to find freedom from this thing. And I was deeply moved as I sat there and just listened to my brother share his story and how honest he was, how raw he was about the scars that he had borne over this journey toward freedom. And I remember leaving that meeting and that night just being at home, and, you know, I, I don't claim to be an expert on all things church. I don't claim to be an expert on what it looks like when people who follow Jesus come together. But the one thing that I couldn't shake was, you know, if we follow a freedom giver who chooses to share his scars then when people who claim to follow him get together, it should probably look a lot like what I saw that night. It probably shouldn't be that we have to come together and act like we've got it all figured out, but that we should actually be people who share our scars boldly because we know that that's signs that healing can take place, and it'll normalize for other people that healing is possible for them, and they don't have to stay in their cages. You know, I think about my wife and I and the blessing we have in being in community with married couples who share their scars. 
You know, I'm glad that when we go out to dinner with our friends, it's not always, I love you, honey, sweetie, everything's great in our marriage, because if that was the case, my wife and I would go home and wonder what the heck is wrong with us, because our marriage isn't like that every day. But I'm so glad that we do life with couples who share the difficulties they face in marriage. We don't distance ourselves because of that. We love them more. We trust them more. And what it does is it normalizes the marriage experience for all of us, and we all grow in hope. This is the way it happens in communities when we share our scars. And Jesus models this for us. We're going to take a look at a story of another guy who's gonna share some of his background, some of the things he's learned during this freedom journey and how he specifically found a role in sharing his scars as he helps other people find freedom. I'd say the first time I really recognized that I wasn't uh, living in freedom is uh, about four years ago. I was just having some t quiet time with God, a nine hour car drive and no radio, just me and God chilling out. And it was about halfway through the drive, uh, he just brought to my memory uh, something that had happened when I was in the sixth grade. My parents pull me out back and my dad starts talking to me. And my dad's an engineer, so he pulls, you know, has to do a diagram for everything. And he pulls out a piece of paper and he puts it, uh, a pen on it. And he starts talking about how he and my mom are starting to have different goals in life and, you know, they're just starting to split up and he actually drew, put a point and then like drew two arrows going off in different directions. When I'm driving in the car, you know, God revealed to me, he goes, you know that, that diagram that your dad drew, how there's that little dot and then the arrows going off in different directions? You're living in that spot. You are fearful and anxious that at any point you're going to do something and any relationship you have, it's just going to split. So that was causing me just great uh, stress, great anxiety. Anytime um, with my then um, girlfriend, now wife, anytime something, any sort of conflict arose, I was just really anxious, really worried. I was just super quick to try and resolve it. I definitely saw how not only was fear present in kind of how I was working in relationships, but also it translated in a different form, but with kind of the same results um, in like professional settings where I was uh, uneasy, anxious, stressed out, you know, and, but then I was just using words like that, like, ah, I'm just stressed, I'm just a little nervous, I'm just a little anxious, whatever. So, you know, that's what everyone is. I think the first time I really recognized that it wasn't normal, or it wasn't how I was supposed to be living was actually uh, when I was reading the Bible and I was reading in 2 Timothy and it said how, for you weren't given a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And it just, I feel like when I read that, wait a minute, like fear isn't normal. I wasn't given this from God. This is what, this is, you know, I'm supposed to be have power, love, and self-discipline. Fear is not from him. I'd say, you know, community has just been extremely important. Having a group of guys that I can count on that are willing to listen to me. And then another aspect of community has just been now I'm able to build into others. Uh, working with teenage guys, I can start to see, hey, they're starting to go down some paths or they're already down a path where I was. And anytime they're talking now and they say, yeah, I'm a little worried about this, or they say worry, anxious, stressed, scared, feared, like God just like gives me a little like zap and I recognize like, okay, that guy's got a little fear thing going on. It's up to me to, you know, encourage him and help him recognize that that's not what God has for him. To me, freedom is living fearlessly and just doing what God calls you to do. 
there's a really short letter that is captured in the New Testament as the book of Philemon. And part of it says this. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. I love the fact that Brett is now finding a place for him to share his scars and to be about encouraging other people. And the interesting thing about that is, is as he does that, it doesn't just benefit those other guys. It actually benefits him because it's a reminder of the ways that he's experienced freedom from Jesus as well. Now, freedom happens in communities when we live out freedom in our own lives, and it happens as we share scars. But it also happens when we're willing to just get in the cage with the people in our lives. At some point, we just got to enter into the cages of the people who are trapped around us, and we've got to love them. And this is what Jesus does with his closest friends. Actually, that same memoir, that same section of the story, there's one of his friends that was not there for that experience. One of them was out doing something else at the time that Jesus came and appeared to the other 10 guys. And as a result, the other guys were saying to him, man, we have seen Jesus. He is alive. He actually rose from the dead. But this guy did not believe it. He was trapped in a cage of doubt. And as a matter of fact, his name was Thomas. And you may have heard the phrase doubting Thomas in your life. It's based on this guy's story. So after the excitement of Jesus coming back from the dead, these 10 guys go to Thomas and they're sharing this news with him. But Thomas refuses to believe it. Actually, this is exactly what he says. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Just trapped in this cage of doubt. So a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And again, he says, peace be with you. Then he turned to his friend and he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. That last statement was evidence that Thomas's cage had been opened. He no longer doubted. He no longer had the fear. He now had confidence that Jesus had beaten death, that freedom was possible in ways that he could never imagine. You know what's interesting is the fact that Jesus chooses to accommodate Thomas right where he is. I mean, he could have easily said, look, if you weren't going to believe the news from the 10 guys that you spent the last three years with, I'm not going to appear to you. You just got to figure it out on your own, Thomas. You got to find a way. But that is not how Jesus approaches him. Jesus says, if it takes you, Thomas, actually physically touching those wounds yourself to know that I've beaten death and there's freedom for you, man, just, just do it. Just touch my hands. And Thomas, you were there. You, you know that they stuck a spear in my side to make sure I was dead. And if it's going to take you actually putting your hand in my womb so you can trust me and know that I'm about your freedom, do, do what you need to do, Thomas. Comes with just total, total grace, enters into his cage right where he is, and then he tells him, now stop doubting and believe. I told you about my friend Michael and uh, how in many ways he entered my cage this week and helped me turn a corner on this freedom journey. Um, basically, every Tuesday morning, that's what we do. Michael and I enter each other's cages. We have a regular standing appointment where we get on the phone and we just talk about what's going on in our lives. We talk about our struggles, we talk about our successes, how we're doing spiritually, how our marriages are going, how work is going. We just get real honest with each other. And just like every other Tuesday, we start it Tuesday morning by getting in each other's cages. 
And actually, Michael let me into his cage first, and he just began to talk about things that he was learning in the midst of the free journey and some things that he was processing through, how he was experiencing some, some success and some of the struggles that he was facing. And then it was my turn. And I told, I told him exactly what I told you guys earlier, that, man, this, this, this journey is great, but it's really hard, and I'm not sure I want to keep going. And later on in the conversation, I said to him, you know, maybe I'm just in a dry spell. I mean, I think that happens in your relationship with Jesus. You're not always on the mountaintop. Sometimes you just hit a dry spot. And so, so maybe that's where I'm at. And Michael just stayed in my cage with me. He listened to me, just cared for me. He, he just empathized with me. He was just with me as I was talking about this. But because Michael has spent time being in my cage, there's a level of trust in our relationship. And he has the freedom to speak into my life. And after he heard me and after he listened to me, Michael gave me a stop doubting and believe moment. Because what he said to me is he said, man, I've known you a long time and I know that fear is something that you wrestle with. And he said, and one of the things I've seen as a pattern sometimes is that when you're in a place of dealing with something where you're coming up against a fear, you'll let busyness crowd God out in your life. And man, that was that was truth that I needed to hear because if I look at the last couple weeks as I was kind of in those blues, there was a clear correlation between my descent into the blues and the descent in the time that I was setting aside to connect with God to just fill me up. And I needed to hear that truth from Michael. I needed him to get in my cage in that moment. And the only reason he was able to deliver that truth is because he spent time in my cage. See, at some point, we've got to recognize that we're not going to be able to be about anybody else's freedom if we're not willing to get in the cage with them. How do we do that? How do we do that in practical ways? You know, we talked about these common cages, and maybe you're in relationship with someone who is dealing with this common cage of rejection. And you just know that one of the things that they do whenever it gets close to relationship or whenever they're in danger of being hurt in the relationship, they know how to put up a wall. And maybe one of the ways that you can enter their cage is you can simply withstand their wall. And you can say, hey, I know that this is the way that it is for you. I know that this is a defense mechanism for you. And I just want you to know, I am right here on the other side of that wall. I'm not going anywhere. And I'm going to withstand your wall. And whenever you give me just a crack, I'm going to enter in. I'm not going to force the issue, but I love you. I'm with you. And I will withstand your wall. And that can be a very practical way that you enter their cage. Maybe it's someone in your group that's dealing with bitterness or anger, and every time they talk about a certain experience or every time they talk about a certain person, you can just see where this deep, deep root of bitterness has developed in their life. And you know, one of the ways that you can practically enter their cage is that you can just walk in freedom. You can live out what it means to live in the freedom of forgiveness as you share your story of how you've been hurt in your past and how you've been able to find forgiveness for people you never thought you'd be able to forgive. It's a practical way for you to enter their cage. You know, maybe for you, it's someone in your group who's dealing with, with pride. And the way that pride shows up for them is in performance, where they always are on a treadmill and they feel like even in the friendship with you, they've always got to be dotting their I's and crossing their T's and they can't do anything to let anybody down in their life. And they've got all these balls they're trying to keep in the air. And you know what? There's going to be a point where they drop a ball. And they may drop a ball that actually has some damaging implications for your friendship with them. And in that moment, for the person who struggles with performance, it's going to shatter their world. They're going to be convinced that they're right. They'll never earn your love. They'll never earn your approval. This is yet another relationship they've lost. And what you can do to enter their cage in that moment is you can say, I offer you grace. 
And I want you to know that I love you not because of what you do or what you don't do. I love you because of who you are. And you can just be with them and offer them grace and forgive them. And that can be a way that you enter their cage. In the same way that Jesus wants to enter our cages. You know, we started with Robbie talking about his pet bird when he was growing up. And as we were thinking about this weekend and the metaphor of the bird, we were thinking about that as a picture of what it looks like to free other people. But I don't know about you, but I just can't get past the fact that there are still so many cages in my life that I need to let Jesus into. That in many areas of my life, I'm still like Thomas. I'm still saying, I know I've seen some things, but boy, man, I got I to gotta see this one figure out. This, this money thing for me, you know, I, I know what the Bible says about you taking care of my needs, but man, if the dollars aren't adding up for me, then I'm not sure I can let you in. And Jesus is willing to meet me right where I am. He's willing to meet me in my doubt in the same way that he met Thomas in his doubt. And he's willing to say, Chuck, I will do what it takes. I will accommodate you because ultimately, I'm about you getting out of that cage. I heard, um, heard something really cool that's happening in junior high and senior high as, as our students go through this journey. And one of the things that they've done is they've stopped calling these four cages strongholds, as we've been calling them. And they're actually calling them doorways because they're, they're seeing these are doorways through which Jesus wants to enter into the lives of students and engage them and help them understand the freedom he has for them. So as the band plays this song, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes if you would. And I want you to think about your own life, your own heart. And we know our own cages. And I think what Jesus wants to say is, I don't want you to see that as a cage. I want you to see that as a doorway that I want to enter for your freedom. What would that doorway be for you? Just in these moments as you hear the band play, just have a conversation with God about what is the doorway that Jesus wants to enter in your life.